0: Let's, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 6, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in there, maybe we can try to, uh, I think we'll be able to get these last three chapters in tonight. Um, again, man puts the uh, chapter division in, and uh, I would have made it uh, break maybe a couple verses down, because you, you start out in chapter 5, you had um, the, the harem. The daughters of Jerusalem, in the last part of chapter 5, saying, you know, asking about who is he. You know, asking the share, like, verse 9, What is thy beloved more than a, another beloved? Or thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? You know, like, why, why are you making such a big deal about him? And she goes on, and, and she's been talking about who he is, and how he is, and, uh, and, and uh, why she loves him. And uh, chapter 6 kind of picks up with that, you know, in verse 1. Whether is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whether is thy beloved uh, turned aside, uh, that we may seek him with thee. You know, that guy, he's so good. Where is he? Where do you think he is right now? So, um, verse 2, she talks to him. She goes, my beloved has gone down into his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. And she goes, oh, I I know he's working, you know, and... and, uh, um, I know what he, you know, he normally would do, and this is what he will be in verse 3. And she goes, and I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. And I think it's pretty much she's saying, get this straight. You know, don't you go looking for him. Uh, I am his, and he is mine. Uh, and, and so don't you, you just remember that, that, that. I'm already betrothed to him, and he's betrothed to me. Uh, don't, don't get any wrong ideas, you know. So um, she just kind of sets that straight there. And that's probably where I would have put the chapter break there at, at, at chapter 6. Um, because the, I think the scene changes for verse 4 I think uh, uh, Solomon has come back to the harem uh, he's, he's made his way to see her again uh, so far he hasn't had much progress with her at least in the way that I put this together uh, and he's taken her in he's cleaned her up he's, he's made her all clean and fancy and, and marriage is on his mind again yet again and we know that he has a couple marriages a month and so uh, I think we find Solomon here talking to the Shulamite again here in verse 4 she says, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. And I always think you can tell a distinct distinction between when the shepherd's talking and telling her about her beauty versus how Solomon, uh, what the things he uses to describe her. Again, he's talking about armies and cities here. Tirzah is a, a city called Pleasantness. Uh, it was known for its beauty. Uh, Jerusalem is a comely city. It was a beautiful city. It was kind of known for that, how uh, the city longed for, you know, the desired city of the Jews. And so he says you're, you're you're pretty like that. One of those things that you just come over and takes your breath away. Terrible as an army with banners. Uh, again, imagine the battlefield, and you ever pictured it or seen movies and these times when they're riding on horseback and they have these big banners up with the flags waving, you know, they had no news reports, they had no satellite, they had no drone out there telling them what's approaching, and all of a sudden this army comes over the hill and all these bright colors and all their battle array and their shiny army and how it would take your breath away with the impressiveness of what it is, and he's saying, that's how you are, you take my breath away and your impressiveness, uh, you make my stomach go up to my throat and I gulp a little bit about what, what, what's about to happen. He says, that's what you're like, you stop my heart, you take my breath away, Uh, you hit me in the stomach, and so I I think it's uh, probably one of his better lines, Uh, but we also notice that Solomon goes back to some of his same old tried and true lines, verse 5, turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me, Uh, thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead, he's used this in chapter 4, now he's back to this again, but. Uh, you know, turn away your eyes. Oh, I, I can't stand to look at you. Oh, you know, you're just not, not because you're just so you're so beautiful. You, you you strike me in that way, and so he, he asked asks her to, to turn away because he's so she's so radiant. Um, and then he no more new stuff. He goes back to his lines about the goats and the hare And uh, verse six, the same thing. Thy teeth are of the flock of sheep which go from the washing, where every one beareth twins, and there is no barren one among them. He goes back to again, complimenting her teeth that she has all of her teeth, and he's used that line before. Uh, verse seven. As a piece of pomegranate, are they temples within thy locks? Again, I think that means she's blushing. Uh, He used that exact same line in chapter 4, verse 3. And again, it's this flattery that's starting to get to her. She's been now pulled away from her farm life and put into this area. And whether we like it or not, the more we're around somebody or something, the more we kind of acclimate to that. Um, So this flattery, she's just a girl there. and Here's a rich, powerful, famous king paying you compliments. You know, it's starting to... Woe on boasting about your beauty and uh, begin to sway you. And you might begin to let your guard down. You might begin to go alongside this, especially as she sees the other girls jealous for uh, the attention that she's getting when and they're all trying to woo his affection as, as well. And so she might even feel herself weakened here. She might feel herself giving in. You know, her cheeks are blushing. Uh, he's paid her some new compliments along with some of the old. And, but before she lets it get any further, uh, before she lets it get past that, once she gets that little inkling there, she stops and she begins to think about what her shepherd would say. Uh, I think that was, I think it's Martin Luther that's credited with, with um, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop him from building a nest. You know? And so you can't help things that come across your path, but you can stop your thoughts, you can stop what you're looking at, you can stop and flee away. And that's what she's doing here. She's applying that. Um, so I think uh, she starts thinking, what would my shepherd say? You know, if he was here to defend me and this guy is putting on all of his lines to try to woo me, what would my shepherd say to snap me out of it? How would he get me back to thinking about him and, and thinking about the promises we have? What, what would my shepherd do? Verse seven, or verse, sorry, verse eight. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. First he would say, let's see, Solomon's talking about how beautiful and how radiant you are. He has 60 queens. He has 80 concubines. That's 140 wives. He's like, how special do you think you are to him? You know, No, you're different. He has, he has the virgins. He has the harem. He has the daughters of Jerusalem. You're going to be future Mrs. Solomon, Mr. Number, number 141. Boy, that'll be so special. And she looks around and she sees them all. And she sees what they're doing. And all the different wives, the ones that he's already wooed and wed and they're over in their compartment. There's all these who want to be wooed and wed over here and then the group that she's in. And she's thinking, my shepherd would remind me that You're not really special in this crowd. But boy, you are to me, verse 9. Here's what you are to me. You're my dove. My undefiled is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice uh, one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines. And they praised her. So he begins to tell her, "Like Solomon's got 140. And he's got all these that he's going to pick from. And we know that he's going to end up with 1,000 wives so her shepherd would tell her, I just need one. I just need you. Um, you would have my full attention. You would have, you, you, ca- captured in your galleries, oh, and, or whatever of these lines he's using, he says, you would be my life. All I need is you to care for. You are my true love. You are my one. I, you know, I don't need 140 or hundred, you know, 1,000. I just need you. And so he begins to tell her that. You're my love. You're my undefiled. I know you're true. I know you're faithful. I know you'll stand for me. He says, I know your character and how you'll be. He also says that uh, she was a beautiful baby. You know, he, he reminds her of her mother. Uh, he, he knows how she talked about her. Remember, we think that she's a, well, she says, basically, she has a step brothers and sisters or stepmother, and so her mother must be gone, and so he's reminding her again. She's thought about her mother before. She's like, boy, I would like to take him home to mama, and I would, you know, she would be approve of him, and so again, he's reminding her, you know, you're, your mother, you're the choice of your mother. You're your mother's favorite, maybe, in that sense. You're the choice one to bear her. The daughters saw that they blessed her. He Says even the daughters of Jerusalem say, "You're beautiful." And even uh, maybe even if she had brothers and sisters, it doesn't sound like she did. But you know, in that crowd, that you know, you're beautiful and you stand out. Uh, you, how proud your mom would be is probably what he's saying. How, you're, how proud your mom would be of you and what you're doing and, and how you're standing. Even Solomon's wives here and concubines, the queens and concubines, it says in verse 9, they have praised her. They've even acknowledged her beauty. They've even, maybe, maybe they've even taken notice of how she stood. She hasn't just caved in. The minute the king come around, she just runs to him like some um, you know, empty-minded girl. But no, she stood for a character. She stood for, for something. She hasn't just been swoop, um, swept along uh, with, with, the, with the, everything that's going on, with the money, with the panache, with the, with the show, with, the, with his fancy car, and the 60 guys with the, with the swords and all that stuff. She hasn't been caught. He's saying, but he has 140 concubines. He has 140 you know, wives, sorry. He says, and you just want to be one of those? So her, her shepherd would warn her and remind her of that, lest she be taken away by all these compliments. And so Solomon, I think, senses that he's losing her. Maybe he can see the, the look in her eye that she's thinking about her shepherd and that she's putting up her defenses. He begins to lay it on thick. Verse 10, who is she that looketh forth, as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as the armies with banners. He kind of goes back into a similar one, but he's he begins, boy, I like the sun, and you're the moon, and you're bright, and you're shining, and you're beautiful, and and he's starting to lay it on thick to try to get her. But then her shepherd would come back. I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruit in the valley. That's not talking about San Francisco. He's talking about uh, <laughs> he's talking about uh, going out and to their farm, checking on the farm, and to see whether the vine flourished. And the pomegranate budded. He knows what she would talk about, where they are going to live. The valley, the spot that they had picked, where he's going to build that dream home, that little cottage of theirs that he's talked about before. So the shepherd talks about their future. I went down and I saw it, that things are going, that things are beginning to come forth, and it's about time for me to come take you home. The fruit's coming on. And everything we've dreamed about is about ready. So hold on. Don't throw it away for flattery. Hang in there. I'm going to come and get you. you know, and so he's telling her to stand fast. And um, so she does. And Christ wants us to stand firm too. He wants us to stand fast. He doesn't want us to compromise. He doesn't want us to give in. He doesn't want us uh, to throw away things. This life is but a vapor. It's but for such a short time if we would just hold out and hold on and not give in to the desires of this world and the pleasures of sin for a season as we're reminded in Hebrews how, how, how Moses stood, how Noah took stands, how all these different ones of the Hall of Faith, how they took stand when it seems like they said they couldn't see. It wasn't there. It was far off and yet they stood. Same for us. We should stand. We have all those to stand with. As a matter of fact, Hebrews calls it a cloud of witnesses. Right? People else who stood. People who are cheering us on, saying, "Don't give in. Don't quit. Stand. You know, resist. You know, stand for Him." So we should join that happy group. So, verse twelve. I think it's uh, the Shulamite, and she says, "Wherever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Amminadab." She's saying, I almost got carried away in my thoughts. It's like if the chariots would have carried me away. She says, I'm getting carried away in my thoughts, thinking about my shepherd. And So the harem you know, begin to call out to her, return, return, O Shulamite. Return that we may look upon thee. Uh, what, um, what will you see in the Shulamite? As it were, a company of two armies. Um, Say, man, you know, snap out of it. You need to wake up. And they begin to compliment her. It's like Solomon just pulled out some of his best stops on you. He's giving you the attention that they're all vying for. And says, you're as strong as not one army, two armies. He's pulled out everything, and you have not given in. You have defended. You have stood firm. She has willpower. That's something that we need anymore, you know, that we've lost. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I set little goals like that. Like, oh, I've got a Reese's cup in the desk. I'm not going to eat it till 2. <laughs> I could eat whatever I want. I could go buy more, but I'm going to hold on to that just to make myself wait. You know, that's a good thing to delay gratification, make, make things wait in that way. Solomon has, has used his line, he's tried everything, and yet she stands firm. Uh, hold real here real quick and turn to Proverbs chapter 16. I, I think of this text because I, I've seen it not happen. And at the time I'd just been studying this and, uh, and I remember uh, Proverbs 16. I'm going to look at verse 32 again. It's probably Solomon writing this and... Proverbs 16, verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. So he's talking about self control. Um, He says, Boy, you know, if you're slow to anger, that's better than somebody who's strong and somebody who works out. That talks about real discipline right there, that you could guard yourself and not just let it go. But in here, he's talking, you know, she's standing firm and not giving in. It says, And he that ruleth his spirit, and he that taketh the city. You know, that boy that you can have to conquer yourself, to conquer your mouth from making that insult back, to, to stop yourself from just launching into what the things you know or the things you think or the things that you want to say, to hold that back, to give it some peace. To, he says, that's true strength. Maybe he learned it write that from what she does, how she stands firm and she does not give in and she stands unto him. I've been around guys and watched them lose their cool. It's embarrassing to watch a grown man throw a fit and you just go to a rage. I've seen a guy cuss another guy out for all my. I was like, I went down. am like, I'm am embarrassed for this guy for what he's done and how I've seen was, and I and I think of this verse. This guy does does not fit that bill. Does not be that way. And because I've seen that, and the Lord made it aware to me at the time when I was thinking of this text. It, oftentimes it's helped me <laughs> to, to I, I don't want to be that. I want to I want to be this guy that can that can control himself. Have some self control. And so I, I think that she kind of epitomizes that here in a little different context, but. She has control of herself, and she's able to do it. She's like, and the, and the harem sees it. They're like, you're like two armies. You have strength. You're able to guard yourself. Let's progress on to chapter 7, Song of Solomon. I think it's Solomon. It's either the same encounter. He's come back again. I don't know within the context of these chapter breaks, but... Um, he begins to compliment her again. Again, we can tell the difference between the shepherd and when when the, uh, Solomon's complimenting by what he's talking about. Uh, verse one: "How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter! The joints of thy thighs are the jewels; the work of thy hands of a cunning work. The, the work of the hands of a cunning workman." He um, says that she's well built. You know, you're, you're put together. A cunning workman has put you together. Um, and then there's a something in this compliment that goes back to something that caused her to falter. I think he's got a spy in the midst, someone who's reporting back on her, and you know, and we've kind of seen that in some areas. And I think here, you know, it was the one time, remember, when the shepherd came and she delayed? Why? It was because she's what? I just did something with my feet. I don't have my shoes on. You know, I can't get over there. And he misses her. You remember that was, I think it was in chapter 5 or somewhere around there. Uh, yeah, I put off my coat and I don't have my shoes. I just wash my feet. And so he's like, oh, she likes shoes, you know. A lot of girls do. He's <laughs> like, oh, she likes shoes, and so I'm going to compliment that. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes? Remember when I brought you in? You were barefoot. I found you in a vineyard. You know, you hit, are dark and tan. You said you had no time for yourself because you were caring for the your step um, siblings there. And he said, so he begins to compliment that. You know, you look good with shoes. When I brought you in, you were barefoot. You were poor. And now you live as a prince's daughter. Here, he even says that, oh prince's daughter, you live here among princesses' daughters. You know, he has those in here. That's, that's some of the brides that he has, and the ones that he's going to wed, are, are people from other countries and other, other places out there that he's made these treaties with, and he's going to marry them as many kings would. And he says, you're among them. You're among the daughters of Jerusalem that have that. And I think he learned that um, she lost an opportunity to escape. But they let their guard down, and it was her shoes that kind of hindered her a little bit. She'd kind of softened up. She wasn't just the country girl that would run out barefoot and go into the street the minute he was there. But she was like, well, I've got to put my shoes on. I've got to have my makeup before I see you and make myself presentable. And So he's like, ah, i got a chance. You know, um, and so he, uh, he begins to build upon that. So he's like, I know that you like some of this, just a little bit, and so I'm going to use that. And so he used the line about shoes, basically, remember I gave them to you. And he progresses onward, verse 2. Thy navel is like a round goblet, which wanteth not uh, liquor. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat uh, set upon the lilies. Um, you have a soft belly, I guess. <laughs> and he goes on It says, uh, it's always the outside with Solomon. The shepherd, it's always her mind, her dreams, their plans, the things they will do. My sister... You know, he calls her that first because they have salvation. My, my sister, my friend, that they had that relationship, that they are friendly one with another, that we are close friends. Then he would say, my spouse, you know, or my are my, my, the things that we have planned in the future. Solomon only sees the physical. In chapter 4, it was her hair, her teeth, you know, her neck, you know, her lips, her neck. And then he goes down to her breasts, you know, from the head down here. He starts at her feet, up to her thighs, to rebellion, and he works up verse 3 Thy two breasts are like two young rows uh, that are twins. You know, he goes right back to there. You know, we can see he ends at the same conclusion no matter which directions he starts out. Verse 4 Thy neck is a tower of ivory. Thine eyes are like fish pools in Heshbron by the gate of Beth, uh, Rabbim. Thy nose is the tower of Lebanon which looketh toward Damascus. And uh, so he doesn't linger there, and so he moves on up, and he talks about her neck, and he goes on to her eyes, and he says her nose is like a tower. <laughs> I don't know what kind of compliment that is. Um, Jewish, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know he, he, he talks about that. In verse 5, he continues, Thine head upon thee is like caramel, and thy hair of thine head like purple, and the king is held in thy galleries. Uh, again, he compares it to a city. Uh, purple is this rare, you know, Color that they would have in that time, it was something to to, to get. And so he's complimenting her again that, you know, boy, that you're really beautiful. You really do catch me. he says he's held in their galleries. I think that's one of his better lines, that you are a work of art. I could stand here and look at you all day long. Just like going to the Louvre to look at the Mona Lisa or whatever. He goes, boy, I could just stand here. I'm caught up in in you. And I I think it begins to work. Verse 6. I think her resolve stands to verse 6. How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love for delight. Um, He looks at her and says, you look fun. (laughs) Now boy, you are delightful, you are beautiful, you are everything a girl should be. And that's where his mind turns. He's not used to being told no. He's used to being told yes. And then getting married and next day it's somebody else. Verse 7. This thy stature is like to a palm tree, and thy breast to clusters of grapes. He's right back again. Uh, Verse 8, I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of the boughs thereof. Now also thy breast shall be as clusters of the vine, and the smell of thy nose like apples. I think he's grasping at her here I think he's pulling her close like you cannot tell me no I am the king I am Solomon I have dressed you up I have put the shoes on you you're wearing my clothes you're covering my perfume I will get what I get I will grab the palm tree I will get it and I think he says I'm grabbing her and I think he's kissing her I think that's where they're probably the smell of the noses that he's taking a uh, kiss verse 9 and the roof of thy mouth like the best wine he's stolen a kiss that she has not given he's forced himself in that way and I think right here in the middle of this is a break that I would put the punctuation in that she would say for my beloved. Whether she shouts it at him, whether she whispers it after he kisses her, this was for my beloved. It was not for you to take. It was for mine to give for my beloved. Again, this doesn't come with punctuation that's been inserted. So I think of there and he says, and then he continues on with his compliment, then goeth down sweetly, causing thy lips of those that are asleep to speak. So even with everything, he's pushed it on there, she stands. She stands firm, verse 10, I am my beloved and his desire is toward me. She basically, I can just see her as he pulls himself closer to her, turn her face and saying, I am my beloved. This is not yours to take. It's not for you to have. I have promised this for my husband, my future husband. This is not for you. And so he stands firm and she says, I am not giving in. And so we would applaud her for standing where it comes to the point of it. I think that everybody else is there watching this and they're like, talk about two armies. You know, she's just stood up to the test. So verse 11, she might talking to her shepherd, Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field and let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards and let us see if the vine flourishes, whether the tender grape appear or the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrake gives a smell, and our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. So she's talking about, let's go out and check and see what we have here in our, in our property. And I also think there at the end, she goes, I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. She's saying, I have many pleasant fruits, and I've saved them for you, my beloved, my shepherd. Not for Solomon. What I have is for you, and I want to give it to you. And I think in this, that Solomon saw her defiance and her resistance to him, That faraway look in her eyes, where no matter what he is doing, that she is looking for someone else, that she is talking about her shepherd. No matter what he's doing, you can almost see her in resolve, rehearsing the things, saying those lines, you know, about, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. These are for my beloved. This is not for you. This is not for you to take, and how she would stand for that. And he sees, he understands that he has just witnessed true love. But it's not true love for him. It's true love for this girl, for her shepherd. It's not something that he could buy. It's not something that he could bribe. It's not something that he could impress and that he could take. It was something that he could not have and that she has with him. And he finally understands it. It's not his to take. And so uh, I think he understands that. And I, and I think that we get to that point here in, in chapter 8. Um, chapter 8, he says, I think it's... Um, I think this is the Shulamite, uh, talking about her shepherd again. She says, Oh, that thou wert as my brother and sucked the breast of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. And I think what I would probably put here is something that she must have gotten in some trouble. Like maybe after... Solomon turns around, storms out, and leaves. As the daughters of Jerusalem and the other brides come over, they're probably like, uh, <laughs> you don't make Solomon mad. You know, he has given you all this. You know, it's so the kind things to do would be to reciprocate a little bit, you know, to, to not be so defiant. And, and she's like, but I, I love him. And so the only way she's thinking that I am captive here, I, I can't be with my shepherd, and, and I'm going to be here, I wish it wasn't so hard. I wish the love I had for him was like brother. I wish he was my brother then, so then I wouldn't be in trouble. Uh, not that she's from Kentucky. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, but but, you know, but it's, it's it's I think it's that. You know, that she's like, I wish that you know, I wish that we were I wish I'd known him all my life, but it would have been as, as 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 a brother and sister in that way. You know, um, it's one of those things. I can remember an I's relationship talking about, oh yeah, you know, we met pretty early, pretty young. I remember then even discussing I wish I'd have known you earlier, you know, she would tell stories about growing up and their family and things were going, I'm like, man, I wish I'd have been there and seen that. Now after years, it's like, I feel like I was there for all that, I know all the family stories, I know all the exploits between how our parents did and how all that, and it's like, you do become family, you do become sister and brother and sister and spouse and and all those things that get added to it, your family, and she's like, I I just wish she was my family. And She goes, boy. I, she goes, then I would not. I should not be despised. That's the way I think she got in trouble at the end there. I would not be despised for saying this. She goes, I love him. I've refused you, boy. I wish, I wish it was this. In a perfect world, she said, if everything would go planned, this would how it would be. Verse two, I would lead thee. She goes, you know, if if this would never happen, if it just would have been home, this is this is what she wishes would have happened. Verse two, I would I would lead thee, and bring thee into my mother's house. Who would instruct me? I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine and the juice of my pomegranate. She was in the perfect world, I would bring you home to my mother. We know her mother's gone. My mom would teach me, but she's not here to teach me. So I'm on my own. And so it's the things we made, the plans we made as we worked in the field that, that we would stand together and we'd have this house together and we would have a family together and we'd be in that valley and we, and we would live happily ever after. And, and then Solomon came and took me away or her stepmother sold her or gave her away or whatever it was to get rid of her. And she's saying, but boy, I, I wish it would have been like this. I would be able to just take you home to my mother's house. My mother would love you. My mother would instruct me on how to care for you as, as, a, as a wife should be for her husband as she did for my father. And she would instruct me in this way and I would give you pomegranate juice. I've had it before. My wife buys it for me sometimes. And so, verse three, he said, and his left hand would be under my head, his right hand would embrace me. He said, you know, I would give the pomegranate juice, and then we would hug. Verse four, and I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you stir not up nor wake my love, until he pleases. She's basically said, this is my last fight. If they're going to keep me here, fine. I am going to stay in my corner. I am going to think about him. I'm staying true unto him. Solomon comes, I'm not giving him the time of day. I'm going to be in trouble. Fine, I'll be in trouble. I'm staying over here. But I think Solomon's come to his senses. I think he's heard. He knows. God did give him wisdom. And so I think after being told no, for the first time in his life probably, he realizes how he acted. That He grabbed her and took hold and tried to force himself. But she didn't like how he acted. Maybe he thought about what she said, how the shepherd would react, and how he does have 60 wives and 80 concubines. And he has virgins without numbers that he's listed about. And how he almost forced himself there. And all this for what? For his pride? You know, would he do that? Would he compromise who he was just because of his pride? Because this one girl had told him no? You know, I, I bet he thought back to a story about his father. And about his mother. And how the most embarrassing thing about his father and his life was the sin he had with his mother, a woman who was not his, that he would betray her, that he would betray her husband, his friend, one of his valiant men, that he would kill him, commit murder. He's thinking, man, I don't want to be there, it's the the black spot of my father's life, and and how the baby from that union died, and how he was broken, and the, and the things that went on in the palace. How Samuel had to come and correct him publicly about a man taking another man's sheep when he has a whole bunch of them, and he's like, "I don't want to be there, huh?" Nathan, man, I even have wrong my notes. I thought, oh, I wrote it down, Nathan. That's the gap in my head. But uh, trouble never left the house after that. You know that was David paid for it. Bathsheba's grandfather, or Athiphanel, It's is kind of a fun name to say. Um, he helped his own son Absalom try to kill him. Uh, He advised him to do some very rude things in front of the people of Jerusalem. And and he did and tried to embarrass him and he tried to kill him and he pursued after him. And David would not retaliate because it's his son and he knew it was to be upon him. And and he thinks about all these things and Solomon weighs that out. And Solomon had wisdom as a gift from God and he's like, I will not do this. He would not force her. He learned about love. He's seen true love. And he saw loyalty in the Shulamite's eyes, and I think he understood. And he's like, "I will record this." And he knew it would happen one day. That one day her shepherd would come because she was so faithful, and she understood so much that he was like, "I almost bet rooting for him. I hope he comes and takes her. I hope that she is not left up here and distraught." But his pride's enough. Probably they didn't just give her away and say, "Oh, we'll go home." But maybe he let his guard down. Maybe he instructed the guards to look the other way or something. I don't know. I almost kind of like to think that, that Solomon and his decency would say, let's, give this, let's see where this goes. But in a time when they did not expect uh, that he would come down and he would grab his Shulamite and take his bride away, and he does. Like a thief in the night, he comes and gets her. Verse 5, the narrator Solomon speaks, Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? It's like, oh, who's this? And all of a sudden, there he comes with his wagon, or however it was he's got her, and he's taking her away, and she's clinging to him tighter than you can imagine. Her shepherd has her, and they're riding away. And Boy, before I read any further, I want to take you to something in Isaiah. Hold hold your spot here. But think of that line. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? It's a sudden appearing. He's come. He's got her. He's risking her away, And they're riding off into the sunset, just like the movie's supposed to end. But look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, look at verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom? Sound familiar? Whose dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I speak of the righteousness and mighty to save. Uh, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone of the people that there was none with me. For I have it with mine anger and trampled them in my fury and the blood of the sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain my remnant. For the day of vengeance is, as, is, is mine heart, is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. And so he, this is Christ coming back and the time he comes. He comes suddenly, he comes appearing and he comes with judgment and he captures and rescues and, and takes them away. Sounds a lot like what we hear here in in, in Solomon uh, chapter 8 and verse 5. Who is it that cometh in the wilderness? Lean upon her beloved? He's come and he's rescued her and taken her away. And then uh, I think that as we continue in in, in Solomon there, I think the shepherd takes up the the speech here in in verse 5. I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bear thee. I I think um, he's saying, I want to marry you. And your mother would be well pleased, I will take you to our place, no palace you know i I'll bring you up you know raise you to the apple tree there, your mother brought thee forth, and there she brought me uh, verse six, set me as a seal upon thine heart as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, the coals thereof are the coals of fire, uh, which the, um, hath the most vehement flame he's saying um, he set the seal upon the uh, the, or the Shulamite and the shepherd had sealed their love with a promise with a vow that they would stand forth and they did, did. Uh, they have that uh, we have an earnest of the Holy Spirit down with us that he is coming back to promise they had promised themselves to each other and they held true they both Um, so they would rather die than break this promise, you know, that she, maybe she goes on a fast. I don't know. They do something, but love is as strong as death. They said it would kill us if we were torn apart in that way. And jealousy is cruel and angry. And the shepherd had to deal with his jealousy that she would be there and that Solomon was trying to woo them and it made him angry. And yet they, they resolved that they would stand true and that he would put his faith. Maybe he reminded himself often of that. My beloved will be true. My beloved stands for me. And then the whole time she's reminding her what he's thinking that they were, they would knit each other that way together. Verse 7 says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly be condemned. Or contemned. I don't know how you say that word. Uh, um, and so the shepherd uh, saying, saying, basically you can't wash true love away. It will never be forgotten. Uh, you do not forget it. You, know, you can't flood it and it would be gone. It is there and is there. It is permanent. Um, love cannot be bought. He says that there. Solomon knows that. He's tried um it says if he did it would be scorned or despised or it would be mockery if you could buy it if he could purchase it if he would have won her he might have even ended up hating her it's like wait a minute you said you stood for something and now you won and I think the world's kind of that way I think as much as they try to get us to fail as they try to get us to stumble I think they're secretly rooting for us to stand that they want to know that there's something worth believing in that there's something we're standing for that there's something there's some people out there who stand and are different I think they take hope in that, and I think that gives them hope, and they see it stand. When they watch it from afar or up close, when they see the trials come, and we stand, and we do not give up, and we do not give in. And so I think Solomon was this the way as well. Verse 8, I think this is the Shulamite already planning their family. Girls without a way. It's like you haven't got married yet. They're always talking about their family, or always planning them ahead. And so here she goes, we'll have a little sister. And she had no breast, but what, what shall we do for our sister? And the day that when she shall be spoken for. What's, what are we going to do when she gets old enough that boys are after her? You know, so they begin to think about that. You know, How are we going to raise our daughter? How are we going to teach our daughter to stand? What values are we going to try to instill in her? Because you know, decisions and trials come earlier than we think and earlier than we want. And as parents, we always like to think that our kids are further back, but, but it all comes earlier. And so they're like, we're planning now on how we're going to raise them. That's a good tactic. Start planning about how you're going to raise your children before you have children. Here's the things that we're going to do. Elaine and I had a goal for our family. As we put them together, we homeschooled when no one homeschooled. We, we, we decided to do things when, when, when no one, we, we just said, this is what we want. This is the goal that we have. These are the standards that we are going to take, and these are the lines that we're going to draw. Does that mean we denied ourselves a lot of things? It did. There were shows we wanted to watch we didn't watch. There were things we wanted to listen to we didn't listen to, because rearing our children and growing them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord took primary goal over us. It took sacrifice, where we did without, and because the children were our goal. We wanted them to come know, to know Christ at an early age. We wanted them to serve Christ. We wanted them to have a passion for Christ. We wanted them to, uh, to grow up to be good, and decent, productive citizens and good, be good Christians who want to serve in a local church. And be a, that was our goal that we had. It wasn't just like, I hope they turn out good. What's on TV? No, we made it a purpose. We made it a plan. And uh, th- th- that's what we sought after. And so I challenge you to do the same. Make a plan. Make a speech these guys do. They're like, what are we going to do? Verse 9. If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. If we teach her, and when the time comes and the boys are knocking around, you know, hey, you know, coming around, and she stands and she listens to our instruction... She'll be rewarded. If she's a wall, if she tells them all no, and she stands off and she says, I am for my blood, even though I might not know who he is yet. I am saving myself for marriage. I am waiting for that. He go, if she takes that kind of moral stand, if she's going to stand for that, we're going to reward her with a silver palace. We'll, we'll give her all we can give her. We'll, we'll try to encourage her in what she does. He says, But if she's a door, and she opens herself up to every boy that comes along. We're going to put her in a cedar box. We're going to lock her up and keep her away. Just keep the boys away. If she cannot be trusted, we'll keep her away. I'll pick her husband, you know, kind of a thing. And so he's like, you know, know, the choice is up to her, but boy, we sure hope uh, that she's a wall. So the shield begins to remember. And again, I think it's because uh, the shepherd's been so proud of her and telling her, and she has stood the test. And she says, I am a wall, my breast like towers, that I was in his eyes as one that found favor. She says, I was a wall. I defended myself. You know, I, 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 I stood him off. I was, I was a tower. I didn't let him get to anything that was yours. I protected it. And Solomon must have you know, realized that because she said, I found favor. It's like she earned his respect. You know, that, that that she got that and that he didn't, she didn't just cave in to the point where he's like, Yeah, okay. I understand. And so, so she rejoices in that. Verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard. At Balhamon he let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have had thousands, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, and cause me to hear it. Basically saying, Solomon's got all kinds of vineyards, but I have this one, and I am going to take care of this one. Solomon has so many that he has someone who takes care of his bride's house. You know, he has people who oversee it and feed and take care of them. I have my one. I will guard and keep it. And So she's like, he's just remembering, but boy, I have what is mine, but what is mine is mine. And Solomon's is his, we'll just leave him alone. So I think um, he's he's just happy that he has what's his and he's just, again, thinking what's going on. And I think as we get to the last verse, we have the Shulamite looking over the shoulder of her shepherd. I think she's all smiles. She waves and gives a final glance to the daughters of Jerusalem. And with a giggle and a kiss, she tells her shepherd, Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like a roe to a young heart and to the mountains of spices. for spices. Let's go. Let's get home. Let's go on our honeymoon. And so they're out of there, and they lived happily ever after the end. Uh, and so I think it is like the early fairy tale. It is like the Cinderella story. And it's all these things that we've um, have kind of imprinted on our heart. So out of a thousand wives... The Song of Solomon is to one who told him no. That's where I think it is, where he sees where love is and it gives us what we should stand for. And so God's used Solomon to give us wisdom. He tells us to be true. He tells us to remain pure. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be vigilant. He wants us to be diligent about guarding ourselves. He wants us to long for Him and to think about Him and have our desire in heaven. Where our desire is, that's where our heart will be also. And sure, our heart not be with Him and desire to be with Him. And we should be watching, and we should be waiting, and we should be warning, and we should be telling others about Him and that He is coming. And before we close, I'd read grab your Bible while I want to look at First Thessalonians <clears throat> because we get that warning all put together. I'm going to start with chapter 5. Chapter 4 talks about the rapture when he comes and he takes us away. But chapter tel- 5 tells us about how we're ought to behave. Chapter 5, verse 1, First Thessalonians, chapter 5. But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall call peace and safety, there it's not us, it's they, when they call peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon the woman and the child, and they shall not escape. And so the thief, the come, the, the, that comes for them. We are raptured, we are taken away. This is the day of the Lord. It's different than the rapture. Verse 4, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness that you should be taken, overtaken as a thief, take you as a thief, sorry. We're watching, we're looking, we're waiting. Verse 5, you are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Remember, she watched the night watch. She watched in the daytime. She was looking through the windows at the banquet hall. When the world was trying to put on the show, she's still looking off and saying, my shepherd might be here. He's through the lattice. He's through the gate. I see his finger over here. He might be this way. He could be coming at any moment, any time. I need to be ready for him. I need to be watching for him. When Solomon's putting out, he stops for me. I'm standing for him. We need to be the same way. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We're to put our armor on and be ready to stand. Verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, <clears throat> that whether we be awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves and edify one another as you, also, as you do. Let's jump down to verse um, 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient towards all men. That, that sums up a lot of Christianity. We're to warn those that are living his life that's going to be judged and warn in a wrong life. We're to comfort, comfort the ones that are like and remind them he is coming, that this is true, that the Bible is true, and, and show them through the things that we can look at that this is true that he is coming. We can trust it when the world's throwing everything it has to say doubt this and doubt that and take that away we're to build them up we're to support the weak we're to be patient towards all men trying to teach them and instruct them that not everybody's where we are in our spiritual belief verse 15 see that you know not render evil for evil for any man but neither follow um, that which is good um, both among yourselves and to all men rejoice evermore we should be a rejoicing group pray without ceasing praying for strength praying for his coming talking to our lord and every single thing give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. We're to stay close to it by be faithful, by keeping that joy as we talked about this morning. Despise not prophesying. We're to look and to study and understand them. Prove all, fa- all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Test things and examine. Should I do that? Should I not do that? Can I do this or should I not do that? And, and we're to make those examples and, and, and stand for it. Make those decisions. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If we can do things that might be a good thing but it appears evil, we're to abstain from that because we don't want to give our shepherd a bad name. Because we are to be the spotless bride to present ourselves to him and that the very God of peace and, and, and sanctify you wholly and I pray God <clears throat> and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and I just thought that was a good verse to end on she preserved herself her whole spirit she stayed true to her shepherd she kept her body for her shepherd she preserved it and she was blameless she gave it in none we should be the same way for our shepherd and when he comes back for us they would find us a faithful and true bride in that way. I think that's a good place to end. So I thank you for your attention. i think sorry that it took so long to get through it all. But I think it's a good encouraging thing for us there. I do remind you...